Hello, and thanks for tuning in. Today, I have Josh Bojanek with me. Josh has a phenomenal story from being in Colorado to moving to California and doing interior design work all across the United States and all across the world now. He has a keen eye for what the emotion of the room is, but also how the client wants the room to look. Thanks so much for tuning in, and I'm your host, Phil Friedrich. Enjoy Josh's moments. Hello and welcome to another episode of Who Knew in the Moment, the podcast. Today, I'm honored to have Josh Bojanek with me. Uh, Josh is an interior designer and is crushing it out in California. He started his own company. And uh, probably the two things that you're going to realize as we talk today is he has a phenomenal sense of style. And uh, I think that's part of the reason he's had success. But second is um, some of his upbringing has parlayed into where he's at today. So Josh, thanks so much for being on. Thank you. Thanks for that. And I mean, you're, you're the one with the manicured nails. So <laughs> <laughs> man, we're getting blown up over here. I love it. Look it. Good. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Oh, well, good. So growing up, Josh grew up in Colorado and you know, you've had some family that have been in the, uh, similar industry, not necessarily the same type of job, but your grandparents started an upholstery business. So talk a little bit about that and just exposure at a young age to that type of a business model. Yeah. So I was really lucky to grow up in a really different environment than most people. We grew up very conservative, a conservative Christian. Uh, my grandparents are from uh, Serbia, from Novi Sad, and um, there was a big war that broke out there. My grandfather, actually, my well, my great-great-grandmother couldn't afford to feed him, so she had to send him off to trade school at the age, I think he was, he was really young, maybe eight or nine, she had to send him to trade school, so he went to trade school to learn upholstery, and in return, they gave shelter and food, hmm. so he, he got his certification in um, Serbia, and then when the war hit Serbia and they had to flee, they ended up in Italy at a refugee camp for a while, so then he was working a lot on the upholstery there, um, and he demanded that all of my uncles grew up with a trade. So he told them that you guys can go do whatever you want. But yeah. in the end, you have to have the trade to fall back on, kind of with that mentality of how he was brought up, right? Yeah. So my, my dad stuck, stuck with the business. And um, I grew up in the upholstery shop, which was so awesome because you're around different fabrics and materials and artisans. And, uh, and I played in fabrics and textiles all the time. But I also feel very spoiled because we were constantly immersed in the guts of the furniture too. My yeah. parents would build furniture. And so just seeing how things were put together, um, it spoiled me in a different way, I think, than most designers have, you know, in their background. Absolutely. Now at 14, you got the opportunity to upholster your first chair. So talk a little bit about that and maybe like a little bit of the rite of passage that comes with that inside of family business. Oh my gosh. It's funny. I was just talking to my sisters about this the other day. I was like, I can't believe dad gave us a lot of the opportunity that we did. Cause now I look at a 14 year old kid and I'm like, you're not coming to the client with me. No, right. Right. You know? Um, but yeah, so I, growing up, my dad, you know, during spring break or summer break of school, there were no such thing as video games and TV. It was like, Oh, okay. You're going to go mow the line. You're going to go feed cows. You're going to go do something. And you're going to come to work with me in the, in the shop. Yeah. So I grew up in the shop working with my dad, mainly taking apart furniture and, uh, you know, preparing things for, you know, for him to do the actual artisan work. 
Um, or just watching, you know, if I had nothing else to do, he's like, you're just going to stand there and watch. So, um, there was a point where I was like, oh, oh my goodness. Okay. Let me do something else than take furniture off. Can I put, you know, fabric on it? So, um, you know, we did, you know, I did little cushions or small things here or there. Um, but that chair took me the longest time to upholster my first chair, but I got it right. And he had to, you know, take apart a few things, recorrect it. But my first chair, I did it for him. Yeah. That's awesome. Now, within that type of a business, you know, I'm sure it just varies. Sometimes it's, hey, I just need you to fix this. And other times it's, hey, I completely want to redo this. Here's the color scheme of my house. What do you recommend? So maybe talk about any experience or opportunities you saw in that part and uh, getting started and seeing different patterns and schemes and things like that. Sure. Furniture related or kind of in the whole composition of a home? Both. So furniture related, you know, it's kind of like getting dressed where you have to know if you're going to do bling in one place or, or you're going to do something more subtle, you have to kind of work it all in so it works well. Right. Um, so I've also noticed, though, that it's really important not to judge a piece of furniture outside of its context. Mm, yeah. So we had one chair come in or a sofa. I can't remember now what it was, but I just remember in my mind, I was like, who designed something so hideous? Who picked out this fabric and put all this? This is horrible. And even as we're putting it together, we're like, oh my gosh, this is very, very bad, you know? Yeah. But, uh, and my dad told me, he goes, well, let's see what it looks like in this space, you know? Yeah. And, uh, and when we delivered the chair or the sofa, I, again, can't remember the exact piece. It was stunning when it was in its context, but when it yes. was outside and it was just alone, it was one of those things you looked at and you thought the designer was insane, <laughs> you know, yeah. and had no credibility. And then when it got there, it was brilliant. Um, so I think context is very important and, you know, um, that things complement each other. And, and that goes also then for the whole space as a group yeah. too, if you're going to have a piece of jewelry, what is that? What is, what is catching the eye? Because as a designer, our job is to actually tell you how to emotionally feel right. and subliminally react. Hmm. So in my mind, I'm also looking to see when you open the doors or when you walk into this space in order to get the emotion that we'd like to convey or the overall desire of the space, where does your eye hit first? Then where is it going next? So it's all about the story of, how, of yeah. what you're going to see and experience and why are you drawn into the space or maybe even repelled. Um, so sometimes you want to give something that's uncomfortable so people don't stay in that hallway for so long and they move into the next room. So, right. you know, it's not always to feel comfortable. Sometimes it's intentionally made to feel uncomfortable. Huh. We're, we're going to dive into that more in, in a minute. I, I can already <laughs> tell now just talking about that. So you're progressing through high school, you're getting opportunities within the family business, and then you decide, you know what, I'm going to go to the art Institute of Colorado and kind of further my knowledge there. So talk about that decision. You know, I mean, maybe that was what you always knew what you wanted to do, or maybe it was like, well, I don't know exactly what I'm going to do. So let's go check this out. Yeah. So I am one of 10 kids. So growing up, my dad said, listen, you guys can all go to school, but you're not, I'm not paying a dollar for your school. It's over a million dollars. If I commit to each, each child, and my parents, <laughs> my parents were very much, you know, they were very diplomatic in that sense where they didn't want to. And they, and they really gave us all a very fair upbringing and which I know maybe in other families it varies, but ours, they were very loving toward all of us. And, and if you wanted your education, you can go. Yep. Um, but my dad had rules. You couldn't leave Colorado and cause we lived in Colorado. Um, so you couldn't leave the state and you had to live at home. There was no dorms and you paid for it yourself. Got it. All right. <laughs> 
Okay, so um, I had I had done my research and I knew I wanted, well, first, after upholstering this chair, yeah. my dad thought he had an upholsterer on his hands who was going to take over the upholstery shop. And so I re- he even told me this story where he said, oh, my goodness, you know, he saw me standing next to the chair, took a picture of me with my chair. And he thought, oh, I've got somebody to take over the business. And then after I finished that chair, I know I walked up to him and I said, you know, dad, that was a lot of fun, but I'd rather tell you what to do. <laughs> So I'd rather <laughs> pick out the fabric and design it and then you put it together, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so going through with some mentors and, and following them and, and um, I had one mentor, Sharon, who was extremely helpful in my, in my whole journey. Um, but I, I did my research on schools, found the Art Institute, which was a private design school. And at that time it was extremely rela- renowned in Colorado. It was the best design school in Colorado. Yeah. Um, and so I wanted to go there. So my dad and I drove up for orientation or whatever to go take a look, scout it, right? Yeah. And when they told us the cost, my dad was like, forget this school. No, you're not going here. And I remember <laughs> that day I was so I was so upset about not potentially going to the school I wanted that on the way home, I just told them, I said, you know what, pull over at Kohl's. I'm going to drop in an application just to, I'm going to start working now and just get, get something to, to um, kind of get financially going. Yeah. So I got a job as, as a worker at Kohl's, the clothing store, and just slowly, like, you know, just did my thing, but it all worked out. I ended up getting a, uh, um, a scholarship with the school that really helped in many ways. And then, you know, just did my loans and paid my school and, and ended up attending. Absolutely. So while you're in uh, or at the Institute there, you know, what were some of the things that maybe you had preconceived notions of things you were going to learn and then things that you were actually, you know, subjected to or, you know, forced to learn about? Yeah, I think, you know, I think there's such a romance involved with interior design and there's a lot of decorinas. I like to use that term because it's, you know, these people who think they're even decorators, which I don't mind getting called the decorator. Decorator is a very specific thing. It's literally not doing any interior architecture. You're doing just more decorative items or decorative application. Yeah. You're not designing the pieces. You're not designing the decor. You're just kind of putting the dress on the mannequin, right? Mm -hmm. So as a designer, we're involved with a lot of interior architecture, details, construction, internal components, how things are, are working. Um, and it's very customized. Um, but you know, there, you know, I, I think back a lot too, to how school transpired and, and, uh, it was a lot of playhouse in a way, right? <laughs> yeah, because you yeah. can make all the mistakes you wanted and you just got a grade for it. <laughs> but I, I think I walked into school expecting it to be kind of a romantic kind of school where, you know, there was a lot of, uh, poshness and all that it was it was very intense Mm. very very intense we had a lot of things crammed in very short amount periods of time one of our uh, teachers walked in he goes you know what I've done work for celebrities pretend I'm Paris Hilton you're presenting to Paris I had one instructor that was so cutthroat you walked in five minutes late and she gave you an automatic fail like (laughs) it was cutthroat you know yeah yeah so I think that was definitely different than I had anticipated absolutely so as you're going through um, the Institute and learning, are there certain avenues within, you know, design or, you know, decoration, whatever it might be that you start realizing, all right, I really think I want to be in this realm. 
Yeah, so within the program, they had very different uh, um, routes that you could take or, yeah. or explore. Um, they wanted us to explore all of them. That way we had a good sense of all the options. So you had kitchen and bath design, which specialized mainly in remodeling or new construction, but it was a lot of components with standard cabinet sizes or customizing of cabinetry. Yeah. Um, the components that go into the special specializations of kitchens and, and plumbing, that kind of thing, bathrooms as well. Um, then we had corporate design, um, which is more like commercial office buildings or um, those kind of structures, commercial design, restaurants, um, there was hospitality design, which is hotels and uh, maybe even assisted living or, or things of that nature. Yeah. So we went through all those different avenues and residential design too, which mm -hmm. is what I end up. I, I do a little of everything. I've designed hotels, I've designed private yachts, I've designed restaurants, but my main bread and butter has become residential design. Yeah. yeah. So, so as you're working through, um, school again, do you realize that you want to start your own business? Are you putting feelers out with different companies or individuals to potentially get, you know, an apprenticeship or hired on? Or how does that all come to be after school? Yeah, so um, I definitely knew I wanted to do my own thing. Yeah. Uh, I just did not anticipate it to come as quick as it did. Yeah. And um, I'm sure we'll go over how that happened. But yep. It was something that I, I had in the back of my mind to do, but in interior design, a very big, it, uh, a very big, big stone in my way was my age. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of individuals would see you as this young kid and you needed the experience, right? Yeah. Especially if you're going to work on these multi-million dollar projects where I literally had a client tell me once she goes, I've built more houses than you are old. Like, <laughs> how do you know what I need? You know, and I'm yeah. going to give you all this money, you know, so, so it's a, it's a very interesting and trust, you know, because right. if, it, if you make a mistake, it's you're liable for your mistake. Um, so I did, um, uh, work for a few companies uh, professionally and as a student and as an intern. Um, but I knew that I wanted to have my own business. I just didn't know when. Yeah. So let's talk about the age parks. I, I, I think that's interesting. So I started doing what I do at 19. Um, so I can completely understand the age side of things and people's, uh, I don't know, I guess, reluctancy to, yeah, to your point, fully uh, trust somebody of that age. At the same token, I think it's so important as you know a business owner, as an individual, to really create the narrative of why that's advent, you know, advantageous to the potential client. So for you, I mean, you're still a young person. How have you been able to parlay, you know, your youth into the hey, it's actually a good thing for you, and here's why. Are you saying my Botox isn't it's not not helping? Okay. <laughs> I said you're a young guy. I said you're still a young guy. I, no, I love it. Uh, yeah. Um, I think that um, in a way there is a, uh, a generalization that, that, you know, young people may not, you need, well, in an artistic industry, I think there is a, uh, a, uh, a thought that young people need to have the experience in order to do their job well. Yep. But I think that through 
through my journey, um, it's more if you have the drive and the vision and even just the, the desire to learn yeah. and the right approach that the experience doesn't matter. I've seen designers who started designing in their 40s and 50s and they suck. Right. You know, and I've seen designers that are 70 and 60 that have done amazing things, you know, but but sometimes the opportunity is a little different because somebody views them as a stable individual that is older. And so then there's trust right away associated with the age. Right. No, that's yep. good. Now, but a lot of those older ones get tired. I'm, I'm not tired. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I'm, Willing yeah. to work. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Or even just implement new design. I know that a lot of times there are there are some that just use the same product over and over, or they have their signature piece or whatnot. And one thing that my mentor had had uh, uh, told me that she would recommend is don't hold your own library. Don't have a materials library. Yeah. And that keeps you fresh. It keeps right. you interested in the market to see what's new and then to portray that out to the client. I love that. That's awesome. Now, another thing that I'm curious about, and uh, this doesn't necessarily have to do with your, uh, your story, but it does have to do with your industry. So I'm sure there's plenty of times where people come to you and they say, Josh, I know exactly what it is that I want. And they lay it out for you and you say, ooh, you know, may, maybe take a little of my advice. How do you, you know, navigate those conversations of, you know, delicately maybe suggesting other things and uh, helping them find what might just float a little bit better with them? Yeah, so um, I have learned to become political about that, you know, yeah. where um, there are things, especially when it comes to like personal art or personal items that are very, uh, you know, precious to yeah. a homeowner or, or a client. Um, I look at the big picture of it all and I, we always start with, okay, well, what is our end goal? What, what is the emotion that you want and what, do you, what are you wanting from this project? And if the client is so determined that they already have a lot established that they want to use, then I ask for myself to, to have a better understanding of my scope and my role. Yeah. Are you wanting me to hold your hand? Are you wanting me to suggest new things? So I really like to get that scope defined. Yes. Um, but in a in a grand scheme of a project, I will give my honest opinion. Um, but what I will do is I will give a suggestion as to why I have my opinion. So um, or how it could be better, you know, so I will take the art example. So maybe it needs to be reframed to fit the, the space a little bit better so that yeah. it has maybe a different context. Um, or we give that piece a little more importance in a way where it feels like it's displayed as a museum piece with a piece of glass that's floating away from it and gives it more of this boxed effect or do we yeah. put it on a pedestal and where is that located again what's the purpose and where what do we want what story are we trying to tell um I like it so you know i have a lot of times clients come to me too and they say oh i know i really like modern design yeah like okay well let's define modern because <laughs> the way you see modern versus the way i see modern is totally different right so there's a process I go through with the clients that I get a very good understanding of what they like and dislike before the project begins. Yep. And there's checkpoints along the way, a lot of communication, a lot of conversation. In the end, we turn out to be great friends and there's a lot of uh, uh, information divulged on both sides that are, that's intimate just because these, a lot of spaces that you live, work, play, these are very personal spaces, you know? Right. Yeah. I but like it's important it. to have that understanding of to make sure that you and I are on the same page of what we are defining as 
the goal. Yeah, I, I think that's huge. I mean, once again, this parlays into so many industries. So anyone that's listening, um, you know, a, it's understand what your client wants first and understanding also that your definition of the term they use may or may not be the same definition. So really digging deep to uh, first understand, you know, what, what we're trying to accomplish. So that's and, great advice. And I think a lot of people just want to be heard. Yes. You know, so they, they just want even to just throw their ideas out and just, just be listened and heard. And if you genuinely listen, I feel they feel, I, I know that they feel acknowledged. And yes. so then they're more open to, to your criticism. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and you actually are understanding, right? You're not just voicing your opinion of something. You're voicing your opinion on the behalf of what they wanted. Uh, I think right. that's a big differential there. So I agree. Great. So we're, we're finishing up, we're getting experience. Um, and then you decide that, you know what, I, I've seen what being a business owner can look like from my grandparents, from my parents. I want to start my own business as well. So talk about the beginning of uh, JB Noble. Yeah, that's interesting. It actually wasn't something that I was like, oh, I'm ready to start a business. <laughs> it happened very quick. Um, I had just got back from a trip in Australia. Yeah. Um, and uh, I came back to work. And at that point, I was working for uh, a, a residential firm. And things were going very well. I learned a lot there. And, I, and, you know, I was very good terms with the clients, with the designer, the owner, all of it. Um, but I came into work one day and um, my boss at that time, she told me, she goes, you know what, Josh works really slow. We still had a lot of a lot of backlash from 2008 and yeah. still recovering from things with that. So she just said, you know, I really don't have much for you. Here's your check for the um, for the rest of the week or month. I can't remember. It wasn't very much. Yeah. Um, she said, well, good luck. I'll call you if, if things change. Wow. So at that point, I thought, okay, well, what am I going to do? Am I going to now, you know, polish up my resume and go driving around from here to there or, you know, submitting this and just trying to do that? And it kind of hit me and I was like, you know what? I've always wanted to do my own thing. I know I'm very young and maybe it's premature, but even if it's premature, why not take the chance? And if it's, if it is withdraw, I'll figure it out, come yeah. back to this later. Um, but I thought, why don't I just start JV Noble now? And, yeah. um, and the last thing that happens is, you know, I, I not married, no kids, really not a lot on my plate in my situation that I had to be concerned about. It was just for Josh. Yeah. And um, I had a car payment and a, a phone bill. So if I couldn't pay the car payment or the phone bill, and you lose it all, big deal. You end up back <laughs> at your parents' house, big deal. Who yep. cares? So I took the leap and I started the paperwork for that and, and started my own marketing. And, and, um, and it, it, uh, it was tough to get started, especially because of the age thing. Yeah. Very, very tough. But over time, it, it worked out. So let's talk about just uh, family support on that. I mean, obviously you came from a world of, you know, entrepreneurial family members. Um, was that something that, you know, parents were encouraging? Did they say, well, you know, maybe go get another job for a couple more years, get some more experience? Or what was kind of the sentiment from your, uh, you know, closest group? So in a way, my parents were excited for me. Um, yeah. But yes, they were very concerned yeah. and, and they would voice that as well. Um, you know, but my parents were very supportive. Um, mm -hmm. 
my mom really wanted me to go into architecture or something like that. She just felt like it was way more masculine. So she's like, why don't you go into, you know, you could be interior architecture. I'm like, like an architect. No, I want to do design, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, they, they were very supportive though. And, um, you know, my, my parents, they were, they're self-made and they started with nothing and they, their upholstery business started in a garage where, where there was no actual storefront and, and um, they had a lot of disheartening moments as well, where they just felt like, you know, it was a dark time, Yeah. but they got through it. So being that they were very versed in that, I think they also knew that I was under their umbrella, that mm -hmm. I really didn't have so much to lose at that point, which I gave, think gave them a lot of peace, but the support from my family was, it was good. I think, I don't think that they thought that it would uh, kick off fast you know yeah. and that it would take longer time but um but they were very supportive i love that um you know so something that has been uh, a point to me uh, a gentleman david Meltzer. he's he runs uh, multi-million dollar companies but i had him on the show and he made a comment that he asked his mom who was a second grade teacher uh questions on which career he should take as an entrepreneur and as an attorney and she gave him one set of advice and he ended up doing the exact opposite. And he goes, the realization I had was sometimes the people closest to you, they're going to give you the advice that potentially leads you to less harm in the moment, but might limit the upside. And so he goes, you know, you really need to be careful on who you're asking for advice and then also making sure that they're a knowledgeable uh, resource in that aspect. He goes, the second grade teacher was not a great person to ask about, you know, attorney and yeah. starting a business. And so, you know, I think that's an important thing to highlight for you. Although your parents had their concerns, uh, you know, they had started their own business. They had seen success. They had, you know, bootstrapped and started from the very uh, beginnings. Yeah. Well, and it's funny you mentioned that, like my grandma wanted me to be a plumber. Can you imagine me being a plumber? I'm like, I can't stand, like, <laughs> I, I, I can't stand toilets and things like, I think they're just disgusting, you know, let alone being a plumber. I don't have a plumber's crack, but my grandma was like, listen, you're going to be so busy all the time. You'll always have work. I love it. Yeah. Those Louis V shoes would not be pulled out nearly as frequently. Not for me. Not for me. Oh, that's awesome. So as you're getting your business going um, and you said, you know, it takes a little bit of time, but you get an opportunity to work on a project out in Vail, Colorado. So talk a little bit about how that partnering came up and uh, the beginning phases of starting a business, which everyone uh, that's ever started a business knows is not easy. Yeah. So um, that it, it's really interesting how that came. So that actually came from, from a very, very small seed, a very small yes. seed planted. Yes. And it was over, a, a, it wasn't too long amount of time, but still it was quite a while. It was at least six months. And I'm trying to put the time frame in my mind, but yeah. through the company that I had left uh, when I you know, was told, okay, we're really slow. We really don't have much here. Her husband's, her husband's partner's friend's friend. It was something like that, like far <laughs> down, needed some CAD work done for a project. And so through the telephone pole and the, the, the game of telephone, they heard of me. And so it was like, hey, can we hire Josh to do this quick little CAD work? And it wasn't that much work. It was maybe like 30 hours, 40 hours of CAD drawings, which AutoCAD is the program we use to do all the architectural drawings in two dimension. Yeah. Um, floor plans mostly and, and elevation drawings. So um, 
they put me in touch with him and I began doing um, subcontracting work just to do these simple AutoCAD drawings. So yeah. once that project was finished, you know, I, I just said, hey, can I have his email and just tell him thank you for the opportunity. So I sent off that email and then we just stayed in touch for a few years um, because during during that time, I then had begun to get other opportunities with my business. And so I wanted to keep my doors and my options open. I didn't want to get locked into something. And, you know, being that I knew I wanted to have my own creative element too, I didn't want to be locked into doing something that was very repetitive and non-creative where it was just mm. executing somebody else's creativity. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's how that, that began. And we worked together on those projects. So I want to highlight that. I think that's a, a phenomenal starting spot of one, no matter what the job is, doing it to the best of your ability, uh, because without having done this seemingly small 30-hour project, you probably don't get future opportunities there. But then two, the you know connections, right? It's a small world. So who who you uh, leave a good impression with, who you you know do well to, uh, that may come back tenfold to you at a future date. Yeah, that's been, it's been very interesting. Um, it's a very competitive industry, especially right. Los Angeles, I would say more so than Colorado. Um, you know, it's one of those things where I would compare it almost to being like an actor. <laughs> it's like, right. you have all kinds of people in all kinds of walks of life and everybody, you know, there's enough work to go around, but it's just the opportunity you get and how you handle it. Um, and then also just, I think, having confidence to know that, that you're in the right place at the right time. I, I'm a very big God believer, and I, and I have a lot of peace just knowing that I am where God wants me to be. Yeah. And, and because I do it out of passion, uh, that's something another mentor mentioned way back before I was even in college. She said, why do you want to be an interior designer? Is it because you want to go to the lavish parties and have, you know, all like a fur coat or like why, you know? Yeah. And if you're doing something for the right reason, you do it better than the people that are there for doing it with, you know, the wrong reason, for example, yes. money. And because you execute better, you will get paid for it. So your, your, the funds will follow, right? Yeah. Yeah. That, that's phenomenal. And I think it's so important because not only that, um, one, people pick up on that, but two, I think something else that's really important to highlight there is, business is hard. And when business gets hard, if you have a, you know, not a very strong foundation of why you're doing something, it's easy to say, well, grass is greener over here. I'm just going to go. On the other hand, if you really feel deeply convicted, like this is where I'm supposed to be, I'm doing the right thing and I'm going to make this work. I mean, really you're willing to, I mean, at all, you know, moral and ethical costs, really willing to do whatever you have to do to make the business flow. Right. I agree with that. But you know, there's a saying that I love, if I say it right, it's, I think it's, uh, you know, when, when talent doesn't hustle, hustle beats talent. Yeah. But I also think that one thing that, that worked well on my end too, was there is a, there is a, uh, a generalization where people think highly of, of other people who work around the clock and maybe are an, uh, a workaholic. And yeah. to me, that's not so much hustling, right? Like, mm -hmm. You can hustle in different ways. It doesn't mean that you're putting in a 20 hour day yes. or that you're neglecting your family and not eating and, and you're, you're stressed out and losing hair. That's not <laughs> hustling. Yep. So I think it's also really important to acknowledge that yes, you're doing the best that you can to your best ability 
don't kill yourself over it because nobody cares. Nobody cares that much. Yeah. So, so just, you know, make sure you have a balanced life and everything in moderation, the hustle in moderation as well, because then what's the point of it all, you know? Yes. That's good. I love it. So you're doing projects in Bale, you're doing projects in Aspen, and then an opportunity to go do a project in a different state uh, comes up. So, uh, yep, working with this firm, uh, doing their uh, CAD drawings and, and collaborating now on some designs together. Um, the gentleman approached me and he said, hey, you know, we've got this big project in Beverly Hills. Yeah. Um, would you, you know, I think he goes, it, it's, it's quite a large project and I really like how we work together. Would you consider closing your doors down and coming and working under my company as our interior designer? Um, but eventually move to LA. Like you, you don't have to move there quickly, like eventually. So in my mind, when you say eventually, I'm like, okay, that's a year, two years down the road. It's going to be something <laughs> that kind of comes, you know? Yeah. So um, they flew me out to Los Angeles to look at a spec house, which at the time they were looking to sell the spec house for somewhere around the $25 million range. Yeah. And um, came to look at the property. It was massive. The project was really large. It was still in uh, framing stages so there was still a long way to go and they had been working on the project for a few years prior to my involvement already um so looking at the house on site he came up to me and he goes well could you just stay i'm like (laughs) well what do you mean just stay you know he's like i think maybe it's better if you move out to la pretty soon i was like well i've got other clients and other commitments in colorado but i can try as best as possible so for the first for the first few years i actually was doing a lot of travel back and forth between colorado and la yeah to juggle all those projects but i i had just opened a storefront in uh, denver off of ninth avenue uh really close to the capitol building up there yeah so i shut down those doors and within a matter of two weeks i moved out to la Um, so again, it was one of those things where I felt like if I did not do that, I would just regret it. And I can't explain why. And it was completely irrational. Like when you think about it, you're like, wait, you're just going to pick up and leave and go. And what, like LA, what if it doesn't work? And okay. In my mind, it was like, I told my mom so many times, I feel like a squirrel that jumps from one branch to the next. And a lot of times I feel midair and I don't know if my little squirrel is going to make it to that branch. (laughs) I just don't That's know. That's a great analogy. Yeah. But if, if I don't, there's the floor, you know, so I'm, yeah. I'm not going to die. There's I'm going somewhere. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I had I had that mentality, took the leap and uh, and left Colorado really quick. I love it. So as you're transitioning to California, you know, I mean, once again, your your job and your career is a lot about connections and relationships. And so you've got an initial in a, a large project that you're working on. But how did you start cultivating relationships while when you got to California uh, to create additional business? So my my mentality, you know, we were always brought up with, you know, do your best and deliver as best as possible. Nobody can ask more than your best. Yeah. Have your ethics because all you have in the end is your integrity. That's all you've got. That's what it boils down to. So even if it's really tough to make those phone calls or those decisions in the moment, make the hard calls. So I, I tried to implement that from the start. Wasn't perfect at it, but I tried. Um, and I think through that effort, I think a lot of people saw the genuinity in, in all of that. And, uh, um, 
just, you know, putting in a lot of work. Um, but what was really tough was all of the work that I was doing at that point was also under this other firm. So right. it's not the, it wasn't, it wasn't like I was building a portfolio that I could come to a potential client or whatnot. I mean, you have your non-competes as well. Right. And yeah. again, the code of ethics where I couldn't bring up a project and just say, Hey, this is Josh's work. Josh's design. Well, not really. I mean, I helped to execute it, but it's not hundred percent mine. Yeah. That, that makes perfect sense. So how do you start uh, building up that book of your own, you know, designs and your own business uh, to, to really get into that market even further? Yeah. So I, I actually, I asked previous employers if I would have the, um, the opportunity to uh, use some of the work that I had worked with them and um, make it clear that it was in collaboration with. Yeah. So um you know, the project started off really small um, and it was a lot of word of mouth. So, you know, the, the clients knew that I had left the firm once I finished out with the firm in California. Even that, it was one of those things where when I left that firm, it was like, okay, I don't know what's next. Do I, do I stay in LA? There's no money coming in. There's a lot. I mean, you still have to pay your bills. Right. Are you going to stay here? Are you going to go back to Colorado? Is this, is this journey over? Is it something else, a new chapter? Um, but a word of mouth, word of mouth is what saved me. And even now, um, geez, I really don't do marketing. It's all word of mouth. So one client throws a party and they say, who did your house? Oh, we'll call him. Here's his number. And it just kind of goes from there. I love it. So talk a little bit about some of the, um, I would say most fun projects you've been able to work on. Cause I mean, you've done projects, not in just Colorado and California, but I mean, across the United States, across the world at this point. Yeah, so I actually ended up designing a church in Melbourne, Australia. So that was really cool. Yeah. Um, it, it and that came out of my visit, my initial visit to Melbourne when I came back, and you know they're like, "I'm sorry, no work for you." Um, so that was a really interesting project. Um, yeah. I just completed a yacht, um, and I'm starting another yacht project out of uh, Marina del Rey, which is quite exciting too. Um, but one really special project, it. it it's still a story in the making right now. One of my clients came to me and said she wants to live in a jewel box. <laughs> so I was like, say no more. So we've, we've done some really unique installations for her where we did the walls in silk with hand muraling. The ceiling is out of glass and platinum beads and, and platinum paper. I've done doors for her out of mother of pearl and brass, um, ombre silk walls in the hallways. She's got these big Tibetan, uh, 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 church doors from a from a temple yeah. um, in the hall with different lighting and I'm doing a custom runner that's 30 feet long out of um, in like a leopard print vibe with some red border but <laughs> right before we finished that project uh, the, it actually all was damaged due to fire and water damage so oh, no. we ripped out everything and we're starting over so that it, it it's been a very interesting process but it, it has become a really fun project um, another project that I just really loved was, uh, this was very much an HGTV style project where right before yeah. coronavirus hit, my client hired me to remodel and decorate design their condo mm. in uh, San Diego. So the plan was that they would come out to California periodically and just kind of check on the project. We'd have our meetings. Well, when the pandemic hit, it was like, they didn't want to travel. Really, there was not much to do, go or see in person together. Right. So we did everything virtually. And um, I designed their house over 
pandemic, which I mean, it was a complete gut. We gutted the half of the apartment, more than half the condo. We gutted. I, I totally replanned the space plan layout of it, ripped out all the walls, redid the flooring, the layout, and um, did all of their their millwork. The custom furniture pieces came in from all over the world. Excuse me, all over the world, and uh, they came with bags and suitcases ready to move in and they didn't see the house until they came to move in wow and even through that process you know it's one of those things kind of like when a makeup artist is doing somebody's makeup it's maybe halfway through you might be like oh my gosh i'm nervous i'm scared i don't like it but then when it's all done it looks great because you didn't see what the artist is seeing so right. I was trying to be very cautious as well as to what the client did see because I didn't want it to look like a half-finished book. Right. <laughs> um, so that was quite a challenge, but it turned out so nice. And she cried and it was awesome. The the reveal, I, you know, when, she, when they arrived into town, I told them, I said, you're not allowed to go into your place unless I'm with you. And she's yes. like, I've never been told I'm not allowed in my own house. And I was like, <laughs> not today, not today. I have to be there, you know? Yeah. And it was just really, really great. Yeah, that was probably one of the most re- rewarding projects to see the expression instantaneous, you know? Yes, that's that's amazing. Now, with your, uh, you know, projects that you've done and you've gotten to meet some immaculate people, um, I- I'm just going to hype Josh up here. Uh, he, he's been on red carpets for the Oscars, the Emmys, the Golden Globe. So uh, talk a little bit about the... Uh, you know, just opportunities to attend some of those events and some of the connections you've had that maybe led to that. Yeah. Um, it, oh gosh. So interesting because when I moved out to LA, I really didn't have an intention of mingling with the celebrities. I always thought like, oh, it's really cool. But you know, I have, I have family that lives in LA, yeah. grandparents, cousins, and no, nobody's in that scene. Right. Um, so it's, it, it all just kind of, fell in my lap. Um, I'll tell a really quick story about how I attended Oscars actually. So, you know, on my friend and I went out to dinner and on our way into the restaurant, she says, well, I told her, I said, you know, I really want to attend the Oscars. She goes, really Sherlock. She's like, everyone wants to go to the Oscars. It's the most coveted event, you know? Right. Because I want to meet Lionel Richie. I'm like, okay, well, we walk into the restaurant and I sit at the bar and I have a tomato soup and a glass of white wine. And I'm sitting to a very, uh, just a, a very general person. He didn't look like anything much, you know, yeah. started striking up conversation and he out of the blue, he goes, Hey, do you want to go to the Oscars? <laughs> and I said, yeah, I do. He goes, well, here, give me your, give me your information and um, we'll do a background check and you have to send this all by midnight. I'll get the background check to you by 6am tomorrow and you'll go. I'm like, are you serious? So <laughs> while that's all happening, a guy comes and starts flirting with my friend and says, hey, come join our table for dessert. I'm like, okay. So after this conversation at the bar happens and I'm thinking to myself, is this even happening? Is this really, was something literally verbalized on the way in? Right. And uh, we sit down at the table and I look across the table who's sitting next to us, Lionel Richie. Lionel Richie. <laughs> so I didn't really re- realize that it was Lionel and I just, you know, went and I went to the table. I said, oh, look at these beautiful people. And Lionel right away is like, you're beautiful too. You know, I love that guy. And, uh, and they ended up, you know, I said, I've got to give you a hug. He made everybody move from the table, gave me the biggest hug I've ever gotten. And, um, and so, it, you know, in a fling, we met Lionel Richie and had tickets to the Oscars <laughs> by going to dinner and vocalizing it. So it's things like that. And, and just very unexpected twists that have given the opportunity and, 
maybe because it is again that that mindset of just what do you have to lose yeah have the conversation talk to the quiet guy it doesn't matter like you know so it, and and it, that's what's really interesting too in LA I think you know nobody wants to to miss a beat or skip a beat and that's why I feel like it, it's so different than New York where right. people here will be really nice to you but then they'll never talk to you again after you leave mm. or they'll give a lot of hype and then things don't really pan out um, while you know in time yeah. but um, you know I think if you're just open to the possibility of the impossible it, a lot happens absolutely. Yeah. No, that's phenomenal. I love that story. Talk about who knew in the moment when we went out that night for dinner that uh, we're going to meet Lionel Richie and get tickets to the Oscars. That's great. Right, right. It was great. Now, in 2017, uh, you had won an award. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about the award and kind of what you won an award for. Yeah, so um, that was the Influencer Award in Bel Air. Um, yeah. we, it was a, um, an event that, that recognized individuals who um, were excelling in their different categories. So there were, there were uh, awards given to different categories. And um, it also was an event that um, was helping uh, generate awareness and uh, supplying funds to support the fight against human trafficking. So it was a really interesting, yeah. interesting party. It was at a beautiful mansion and um, I was not anticipating to win an award but I did. So that was, it was quite nice. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, that definitely helps build credibility, right? Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Very honored. Well, very good. Well, Josh, I appreciate you taking time today to share your story and all the amazing things that you've done. Uh, you know, it's, it's cool to see, um, you know, those pivotal moments, right. Uh, you know, getting that opportunity to see a grandparent and parents run, run a business. And, you know, there's probably some things that you picked up along the way that helped you with your business. And then uh, coming back from a trip and being told, Hey, we no longer need you. And you say, all right, well, I guess I'll start my own business. You know, a, a person could have easily been down in the doldrums and you said, well, no, let's pivot and let's start a business. So thanks so much for sharing your story today. And uh, I can't wait to continue to follow it. And, you know, in the next two, three, four years, we'll have to go ahead and uh, do this again and talk about the new projects, the new people that you've met and uh, things you're working on. Thank you so much. It's an honor and, and it's, it's been a great journey and uh, I, I'm very appreciative and I thank you so much for your time. Absolutely. Thanks so much, brother. Thanks so much for tuning in to Josh's story and his uh, amazing success he's had so far. Can't wait to continue to tune in for more. I think one thing that I would highlight is just his willingness to step outside of the box, to do what's different in order to accomplish what he knew he was capable of. Thanks so much for tuning in and have a great rest of your day.